Thanks, George. Thanks, guys. You know, I imagine that uh, that the God I read about in the Bible is pleased to hear what you just prayed, George. You know, when it says, uh, or when you just said, um, that we would understand you more and treasure you more. Right? Your microphone is probably turned off already, so you can't say anything. But yes. Yeah. Good to see you all, and Happy New Year. Um, you know, I want to let you in on a secret, uh, and, and I'm kind of thankful that my boss, Trent Thompson, isn't here today. Uh, and, and, and here's why. That this is actually my favorite Sunday of the year. And uh, to, to hear that out of the mouth of a pastor, you know, you want to say that, well, it's got to be Easter. And it is Easter, and this is going to sound a little bit more holier than thou, and I don't mean it to. You know, I want to you know, value and celebrate the resurrection every day of my life. Um, but, but I love this Sunday most in a given year, and the reason why is because uh, that there's something of a lull, at least kind of for, for me, I don't know if that's my personality or just kind of the track that God's got me on in life right now, whatever that is. Um, but, you know, the rush and for me, the noise of Christmas is behind me. Um, and now, uh, just before, uh, you know, the launch of the new year, we have this Sunday and Trent had come to me and he said, uh, would you preach that Sunday, 1230, uh, December 30th, and um, you can do a standalone. And I don't know if I've ever been asked to do a standalone sermon at this church before. And so I was a little stumped on what to do, but I wanted to share with you this morning uh, really a story from the Old Testament. I don't have any illustrations this morning. We're going to take some different stories from Old and New Testaments and kind of tuck those in uh, along the way of the overarching story that we're going to tell from Genesis chapter 16 this morning. And it's going to be up on the screens, and so you can follow along there. I'm going to actually read from there. Genesis 16. It's a marvelous story. Um, it's a marvelous story about how I believe God sees us and then allows himself to be seen by us. And it's a wonderful thing. So I just want to tell that story. Um, and we'll just kind of pace ourselves and do that. So why don't you turn to Genesis 16. If you're not there already, I'm going to turn, but I'm also going to read from the screen if it's up there. He sees us. And he allows himself to be seen by us. So Genesis 16, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. If we can get that on the screen, that would be good. And uh, here we go. It says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Which, by the way, is a pretty big deal. Because you'll remember that earlier in the month, Trent was preaching from, in part at least, Genesis 15. And he had mentioned 
that uh, God had gone to Abram and said, I'm going to give you a son, and by the way, not only a son, I'm going to give you a nation, and by the way, go outside at night and see if you can count the stars. You can't, but that's how many people I'm going to give you for offspring in your life over the course of history. Awesome, there in Genesis 15. And so now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She would bear him a son, and God would keep that promise through the boy Isaac, but Isaac was still 14 years down the road. And it had been a while since Abram, hence Sarai, had had this commitment from God, and so they're waiting Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Next verse. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's right. God in his sovereignty which is always, always good, had prevented her from having children. God is in charge in his sovereignty of every boy and every girl ever born over the course of human history. He's in charge of every soul that gets created. And so when she makes that point, when she says, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, she's right, but that doesn't save it from being so deeply painful. And I just wanted to pause and maybe have us catch a little bit of the pain she would have known that's going to drive her to do what she does next. She says, go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And you just want to say, no. No. Don't do that. Don't. Don't do that. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So you've got her, no, go back to verse two. Thanks. You've got her saying, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by, God doesn't need us to keep his promises for him, right? But that's what she's doing. And she's doing it because she's in pain. She's hurting. She's in very desperate need of something. And so she comes up with this solution that is ungodly. And then it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And right there you want to say to Abram, no. That's not the kind of listening where a man sits down with his wife and says, I I want to love you. I want to understand you. I want to see where you're coming from. I want to listen to you. I want to get it. I want to be attentive. I want to be sensitive. I want to know you. That's not what's going on here. When it says that he listened to her, it says that it means that he obeyed her. Okay, you call the shots. 
you do what you want to do. And I'm... Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, now verse three, thanks. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. That's something that, okay, maybe in an ancient tradition, a society of the the Middle East or the ancient Near East, that that was somehow acceptable. Scripture never condones that. And so that's not the way they should have gone. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Next verse. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Next verse. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. And may the Lord judge between you and me. So she's infuriated in this Old Testament story. Okay, next verse. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. What? Guys who are married in the room, And if you're not married yet and you hope to be married someday, just hear this. When our wives are in pain, we want to go toward them. We want to listen to them. We want to love them. This isn't love. This is Abraham stepping back and and just kind of washing his hands of it and saying, I don't want anything to do with that. You know what? You go ahead and you do whatever you want. You can make her life as miserable as you please because you know what? I've gotten everything I want. You just call it what it is there in the text. My wife just gave me permission, not only that, invitation to go into another woman. And what is going on with that? Adam, same mistake, right? Oh, you mean you want me to take a bite of this fruit that God said was off limits? Sure, I'll go ahead and do that. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard from the pulpit in my life was one time I actually heard someone preach this that Adam was loving Eve, it was an act of love for him to go ahead and to participate in that sin with her. How idiotic is that? Okay, let me love you by sinning with you against the holy God? 
Trent had it right uh, a month or two ago when he was preaching on marriage and he said, wives, don't ever follow your husbands into sin. He had it right, but it cuts both ways. Husbands, don't ever follow your wives into sin. Well, he kind of washes his hands here. And so Sarah dealt harshly with her, you bet. Uh, did Hagar bring it on herself? I don't know, maybe. But it was Sarai's plan. And it was endorsed by Abram. So the contempt that Hagar showed when she had known that she was pregnant, okay. But oh my word, I can't imagine, I can't imagine how difficult Sarai would have made that home for Hagar. And it says that she fled. And have you ever found yourself in that kind of a spot before where you're just running and you don't feel lost because it hasn't even registered that, um, that you don't know where you are? It's that you're just running away from that. It's I have to escape at all costs. I can't handle that abuse And that's what's going on here. And I want to say for poor, dear Hagar, this girl who's now pregnant and all alone and on the road. And then something happens. And here's where we're going to slow down just a little bit. Something happens. It turns out that she gets found and that she gets found by someone identified in the text as the angel of the Lord, and who I believe as I read the text is actually Jesus Christ. And how cool is that? Actually, Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus didn't spring into existence 2,000 years ago last Tuesday. He was born in a manger. I mean, the most marvelous, kind of should render a speechless act of God, even trumping the resurrection itself, that God would take on human flesh. God would take on human flesh, in which he will now dwell forever. Jesus Christ. The miracle of the incarnation, you know, what happened that night in Bethlehem those couple thousand years ago. A couple thousand years behind that, or whatever the length of time it was, you've got Jesus showing up. You have him showing up, I think, actually quite a few times in the Old Testament. You know, I mean, he was there at creation. We know that from Genesis chapter 1, you know, that we created, we know that from Colossians chapter one, we just studied that this past fall, that he was there and that through him all things that were made were made. We know that. But we have him showing up. He's gonna show up two chapters later as the Lord here and he's with Abram up on the mountain there looking down uh, at Sodom and Gomorrah and it says that the Lord and Abram are, are talking back and forth there. Jesus, pre-incarnate visitation, what theologians would want to call uh, a Christophany, you know, 
it sounds like the name out of a Broadway show, Cats, you know, Christophanes, you know, but it's, <laughs> that's what they call it, pre-incarnate. And here comes Jesus, and he comes into the narrative. You know, in Joshua chapter 5, Jesus shows up there as the commander of the Lord's army. And it says that Joshua goes to worship. And unlike in other texts, when the angel says, no, I'm not the Lord. I'm not Jesus. Don't worship me. And you see that in Old and New Testaments. On that occasion, the angel or the commander says, bring it. And by the way, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. You know, or the, the fourth being that was walking in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, you see it again and again, and I think we see it here, and in a little bit we're going to see why it is, at least that I am convinced, that this is Jesus Christ who finds her. Anyway, we're looking now at verse 7. It's going to say, the angel of the Lord found her. Don't you think it's true that we all need to be found? We all of us need to be found by God. It says in John 6 that no one, Jesus said, you know, it's in red ink, no one can come to me except the Father draw him or her. No one can come to me. It's got to be a work. But then Jesus says about himself, I'm the good shepherd. And you read in the parable uh, there of, of, of the shepherd and the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, what does it say, you know, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. He doesn't look for a while and see if he finds it, He looks until he finds it. That's the kind of finding that all of us, every single one of us, need from him. It says then that when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. I love that Jesus, when he finds us, secures us right there. And then it says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, because I found my sheep. So he doesn't just secure us, he celebrates. It actually gives him joy to find us. Jesus Christ found her. Here in this text, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring By a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to a place called Shur, S-H-U-R. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Now, I feel like I'm shouting. And and, and my wife is smiling, shaking her head, said, no, you're not. I think I am, though. I, I so want to communicate this the way I believe that he communicated it to her. And it was just the two of them, though. So it's, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> How tender with her he had to have been. How kind. 
soft, strong, but soft, gentle. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? What a question, don't you think? You know, it's interesting. I, I don't see this as a principle of this is a good question for you to ask yourself. As you construct your life's agenda, go ahead and ask yourself what it is that you're coming from and where it is that you want to end up. And then go ahead and map that out. And then somehow submit that to the Holy Spirit and see if he'll bless that for you or not. That's not what's going on here. He's the one who asked. And he's not saying, ask yourself. He's the one asking there. And he's asking us. I believe he asks each one of us that same question. As you formulate your perspective of reality in this world, as you rank just the values that you will hold most dear, as you look to live your life out and about in the world and model, portray a kind of character among the people with whom you roam, Where are you coming from? And where are you going? As you look for purpose, where are you coming from? And where are you going? He is the God who asks us. And he doesn't just ask us that question, by the way. He asks us all sorts of questions in Scripture, doesn't he? You know, I was remembering uh, there in Mark chapter 5, when it says that uh, he, he, he's got a crowd of people around him, he's on his way to Jairus' house, uh, he's about to resurrect Jairus' daughter, but there's a crowd of people around him, uh, including the disciples, a lot of noise, a lot of jostling, and this woman, it says, comes up, uh, you know, it says, it says that a woman who is diseased with an issue of blood for 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But, but Jesus felt it. And he stops the crowd. And, and, and he says, who just reached out and touched me that way and the disciples are incredulous they're like what, what do you mean <laughs> everyone just touched you that way he's like no no it was different for one of you he knew he knew who it was but he waits for her to come forward what I love about that question is that Jesus knew and knows that as we as she and as we want to go toward him and we're looking for help of whatever kind. Jesus is aware of that because he sees it and he responds to it. And he'll stop the crowd because of it. And he doesn't care if the guys closest to him chastise him for it. He's going to stop and he's going to lock on to her Who was it that touched my garments? 
or, uh, uh, you know, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Question mark. If you love those who love you, so what? Everybody does that. What makes you, as my sons and daughters, any different from the rest of them? If all you can manage is to love the people who love you. That's a fair question coming from Jesus. Or John chapter 8, and I love this. And the... These guys drag this woman caught in adultery and they drag her out in the street and they drag her in front of Jesus. Jesus deals with them and then he turns to her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Now that's a good question. That's the kind of question that some of us in the room really need to hear. Where are your accusers? Because there are those of us in the room who are carrying all kinds of guilt guilty feelings, and we ought not to be. We don't have to be. She didn't have to be. She, you know, her response is, well, they, they, they ain't here anymore. And Jesus, well, neither do I accuse you. You know, go and sin no more, but. Or, This question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's massive. You know, I don't care. I don't care what your or my issue is. It doesn't matter where the church is at around the globe doesn't matter what the things are that concern us, the current trends, doesn't matter. Doesn't even matter issues of, uh, I don't know, gender, race, sexuality. You know these things right now? Foster care maybe, I know that that's something that is major and the spirit of God is at work there in our church right now that way. All these different things, none of it matters a hill of beans without Jesus Christ. You need to be shouting amen to that. Amen. Amen. None of it matters a hill of beans without Jesus Christ. And Jesus is coming back and he's saying, who do you as my followers say that I am? By, by the way, in the arenas coming up, which aren't coming now until March, uh, the arenas are coming, but um, my friends Rob and, and Joel and Mark are going to be teaching uh, an arena on uh, that very thing. Who, who do men say that I am? And the identity of Jesus. So it's going to be good. I encourage you to attend that one and, uh, and, and all the others as well uh, to, to, to go ahead and pick one when March 24th rolls around. Um, but who demands? 
Jesus asks questions, and he asks the question here, where are you coming from and where are you going? Then in verse 8, second half, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. You know, that's the third thing. He challenges us, doesn't he? Now, don't read here that we're supposed to somehow uh, return and submit to an abusive situation. You know, that, that, that's not the automatic principle here in the text. That's not what we're wanting to have you take away today, <laughs> that you've got to return to something that was so spiritually crushing for you. That was what he called her to do in this instance. And perhaps that's what he's calling you to do. Perhaps it is. But it's not automatic. What is automatic is that he very often challenges us and that in this instance he does say to her, Hagar, you're going to need to turn around. You're going to need to turn around. And what is true is that he appoints our trials for us. He appoints our trials for us. So we know that that's true. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I. You know, which is another reason, by the way, that I believe that this is Christ. It's talking about Jesus here. The angel of the Lord doesn't say to her, he will surely multiply. He says, I will surely multiply. I will surely multiply your offspring. Massive blessing so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. This is the same language from the previous chapter here. So that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. (laughs) His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, we don't have time today to get into all of that. And some of you are, you know, you're kind of smiling and nodding like, whoa. Let me say this about this. I've had people come to me from time to time and say, well, do you see what's happening to our world because of Islam? We have all of those Arabs to blame. Just reprehensible language. That's what's going on here. People trace the strife back to this text and this blessing that there's going to be this wild donkey of a man and it's all their fault. Here's what I just wanted to encourage us to do today. Rather than view this as um, somehow Christianity versus Islam, let's see this as the distinction between Arab and Jew, okay? Because that's what the text is getting after here. The distinction between Arab and Jew. And then let's go ahead and just pray, Father, whether the person I'm with is Arab or Jew, just give me a heart for that person. I don't have to pick a side. 
I don't have to pick a side. For heaven's sakes, I don't have to get all steamed at Israel because they're always going into the Gaza Strip and what are they doing now? (laughs) And I don't have to get all steamed at the Arab peoples because those Palestinians are always trying to, you know, they want more, but that's, you know, Israel belongs to God and, you know. Just give me a heart for Arab and Jew both. I'm going to pray. God, give me friends who are Arabs and give me friends who are Jews. Just give me friends that way. And help me to be faithful of the course of that relationship. Whatever. Whatever their skin color, heavens. Wherever they hail from. Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. That's the fifth and final thing I think there in your notes. He's a God who sees, the God who sees us, the God who sees you, the God who sees me. El Roy, the God who sees. My daughter, um, my, my daughter has not had an easy year, and uh, she, she had had uh, um, extensive back surgery back in, in July and August, a lot of pain. Um, and she's, she's continued to have to fight the pain through the course of the fall. And she sent me an email not too long ago, and, and, and she said this about Jesus. She said, I, I, I know that he's there, and I feel like I'm on a trail up in the mountains and it's just the two of us. And, and I see him, but he's not saying anything. And she said, Dad, what, what, do, I, what do I do about that? And my answer to that is, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, but, but it occurs to me, just having prayed about your email, that, that maybe, maybe the question is, is that enough? Do you, do, you, do you have to hear something from him? Or is it enough to know that he's with you? Is it enough to know that he sees you? because he's right there. She's like, you know, okay, let me think about that and pray about that. (laughs) He's the God who sees. And then finally, back half of verse 13, for she said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me. It's one of the most tender expressions, deep, you know, sublime, beautiful, beautiful expressions that I personally, I think have ever read in the Bible. I have seen the one who looks after me. I don't want to sound cheesy, but in 2019, we can see the one who looks after us. 
We know going into the year that he sees us. You know, you can, you can see God. Did you know that it's possible to see God? I know that we're told that it's, it's not possible. I mean, we, we read about Moses there and, you know, in chapters 33 and 34 uh, of, of Exodus and you have Moses and he, he says to God, show me your glory and God is, the implication is God is pleased by the request, and so he says, come on up on the mountain, and he takes Moses, and he kind of puts Moses in the crack in the rock, and he says, now I'm gonna walk by, and, but I'm gonna have to kind of palm you, I'm gonna have to kind of shield you as I go by, because no one can see me full on in all my glory, in all my holiness, and survive that encounter. So I'm going to graciously do that to you, but I am gonna show you who I am, I'm going to let you see me. And so as he walks by, he says, you know, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and and, and abounding in loving kindness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And he walks by and he shows himself to Moses. He'd already... He shows himself to Moses, not only in his holiness, he shows himself to Moses in Moses' humility. In Numbers chapter 12, says that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. Moses didn't write that about himself. A scribe wrote that about him. It's inerrant Bible. <laughs> but what had happened was that Moses, or Aaron and Miriam had contested the authority of Moses and God had heard about it and was angry. And so he summons the three of them and he says to Aaron and to Miriam, now with prophets, those who are closest to me, with prophets I speak in visions and in dreams. But with Moses I speak face to face. clearly, and not in riddles. And and, and he sees the form of the Lord. So why do you contest my servant Moses? In Exodus 33 it says that the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. It's possible to see God. Hannah saw God. She too was so desperate for a child and God gave her a child and having received that child, she gave that child back to God in 1 Samuel chapters one and two and all she could do was sing about it. She sang hardly anything. There's hardly a single reference to the boy, Samuel, that God had given her. All she wants to do is sing about God. Our God is a God who knows. Our God is a God who sees. So be careful. He's awesome. He's done so much to me and I rejoice.
So we so it's it's possible. It's possible to see. It says in Matthew five eight, and with this we'll we'll, we'll wrap up. In Matthew five eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is possible to see God and to see Him for who He is. Can't see all of Him without being blown away. But it is possible to see Him accurately and to see a measure of Him clearly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, how to apply that? David says in Psalm 51, after he'd repented, as he's repenting of his sin, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or remove your Holy Spirit from me, which God never would do, by the way, not in our day and age. (laughs) But he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit, just an attitude, to sustain me. That's what he's saying there. So let's make that our prayer. Okay, let's make that our prayer. Create in me a pure heart. I want a pure heart because you have said, God, that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see you. All right, let's pray. Father, we want, that. we want that pure heart because we want to see you. And we just say that we have seen you. We want to thank you and give you credit for the blessing in our lives. We want to give you credit for having found us. We want to give you credit for having asked us even hard questions. Father, we want to thank you for the challenges because we know that you're with us in them. We want to thank you for all the blessings of our lives. I want to thank you for seeing us. And we want to thank you for allowing yourself to be seen by us, for helping us to see you for who you are. Give us more, give us more of yourself. Create in us pure hearts and bless us by opening our eyes to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.